So I'm here in Las Vegas um, with the Las Vegas Strip in my background, and I, I have the wonderful pleasure of sitting down with Junior Brantley, who has been kind enough to sit down with me for a little interview about his life. Hi, Junior. How are you doing? Real good. How are you doing, Marco? I'm well. Thank you again for doing this. No um, As I said, my friend Curtis spoke very highly of you and thought that I should be speaking to you about your life in music. Tell me, uh, tell me where you were born. Uh, I was born in Carthage, Mississippi, but I came to Milwaukee real early. I don't. It, it, I was so young, I don't even remember it. Anyway, uh, that's where I was born. Can I ask what your parents did? Uh, my parent, my my mother was just a housewife. My dad worked two jobs that uh, I remember. He used to work. I mean, his first job was uh, Green Barn Tannery. And then his second job, later on, he worked at A.O. Smith. Okay. In fact, I went to Washington, D.C., and I went to the uh, um, Smithsonian Institute of Technology. I went there, actually, to see to check on the motorcycle, the Harley-Davidson. Yeah. And while I was there, I saw A.O. Smith. So I... I I saw where my dad worked there, and I saw Harley Davidson. That was a good day for me. <laughs> what was it that made the move up to Milwaukee? Uh, my parents brought me there. Okay, but what, what, why did they decide to move up there? Do you know? I'm sure trying to find a better life. Okay. And, and so that must have been quite an adjustment for them, but I guess I don't know if you would know how they felt about that move. Exactly. No, not really. Except, you know, everybody was moving north at that time, you know. And tell I, me, won't, I won't tell you exactly how old I am, but uh, uh, that was a long time ago. <laughs> <laughs> and tell me about your memories of uh, being growing up in Milwaukee. Well, it was typical, you know, it was cold in the winter and we had a short summer. Uh, I think I heard someone say this one. In, as far as seasons in Milwaukee, we have June, July, August, and winter. <laughs> <laughs> so growing up in Milwaukee, we, uh, it was typical. And as you a know. child, what kind of hobbies did you have? Uh, what habits? I didn't play sports. I guess my biggest habit was playing around with the piano, you know, as far as... Uh, and how did that start? How did you wind up with playing? Okay, when I, when I was born, there was a piano in the house because my dad played. My mother played a little bit as well. So when, when I knew anything, when I became conscious, there was a piano and everybody was banging on it. And so I wanted to put my two cents in. So I ended up, you know, in this position. Right, but uh, that's how it all started. Okay, and then how did it become more than just a thing you banged upon? Okay, uh, I wasn't thinking of being a musician at all. I mean, that wasn't even that never crossed my mind because I knew how much work it would take to, you know, get yourself in in that, um, you know, get good enough to play mm-hmm. with somebody. Anyway, I was watching TV one night. And I saw Steve Allen playing one of those little whirlers of pianos. Right. Well, until I saw that piano, the only way you could travel with a, a, an instrument, you'd have to buy yourself a big truck or a big trailer. You know, spin it would be the, probably the smallest piano you could carry. And uh, who wanted to do that? I certainly didn't. But seeing seeing that little piano, and I said, oh, you know, and it was only $400 I found out later. I said, I got to have that piano. So it took me maybe uh, around six months to pay it off. I did one of those layaway plants, you know, <laughs> and I finally got it. Once I got it, well, the word got out because I had the very first one in Milwaukee, as wow. far as I know. And... Uh, the word got out that I had it. So Arthur King, he was the guitar player and road manager for Sonny Boy Williamson. Well, they wanted to borrow it. Mm-hmm. And of course, I said, yes. I, I, I wanted to be amongst them, you know. I was down there screwing in the legs, getting it all set up. And it was for Sonny. His name was Sonny Smith, I believe. And we were going to be playing at a 
bar called the Playboys Club. Not the Playboy Club, it's Playboys. And uh, so he didn't show up. And I know why, because he knew that Sonny's didn't have a piano, hmm. right? Right. So, uh, but I had a piano there for him. He didn't know this. So the time started ticking by, and I was looking at it after I set it up, and I was thinking how pretty it looked because it's brand new, you know. And, uh, and I was thinking, ooh, he's not here. So I started shaking a little bit, you know, because I was wondering what was going to happen here. So no kidding. After I met him and everything, um, time came around. So he says, uh, well, it's time for us to play. And so... Arthur told him, says, well, Sonny is not here, the, the, the piano player. So he looks at me <laughs> and he says, well, can you play it? And uh, Arthur King tell, said, tell him, yeah. And I remember I said, yes, sir. <laughs> can I ask you, how, so, how old were you? So, so I had never played in a band before, so this was all new to me. Wow. And so uh, how old were you? Uh, see if I tell you that. Let me see now. How old was I? Seventeen? Oh, okay. okay. Something like that. Anyway, uh, I uh, oh, let me see now. Um, if we go back a little bit, can you tell me what made you get into the piano? Like, why did you decide that you wanted to buy that Wurlitzer? Uh, because I already played right when I my first day. My first day at school, like in kindergarten, my cousin took me, and I had to play. For, my, for the kids, every room that had a piano in it, he made me play. I could play boogie-woogie, so he made me play uh, boogie-woogie. Oh, of course, the kids liked it, I guess. And But that was my first gig, kindergarten, my first day. <laughs> oh, okay, and tell me, so, tell me how you learned to play the boogie-woogie. Uh, because everybody could play. When I, when, I, when I became conscious of there was a piano, everybody could play it. They couldn't play, you know, professionally but right. they, they they could play little songs if, if nothing else they could play jingle bells you know what i mean in songs like that and so and musically i mean this is your family i presume that's yes playing. but and, how did you learn new songs or how did you how did music come into your your family's living room um well my dad was the cause of all of that because he played the piano and he went out and bought one Okay. And, and uh, it was there when I when I grew up. I'm not sure it was there when I was first born because I was born in Mississippi, but we had it in, when I became conscious. I don't know what, three or four years old. You know, you realize you can talk and and so forth. Well, same with the piano. I realized I could I could play it. I couldn't. You know, I mean, I wasn't a whiz or anything. Still not, but. Uh, oh, I'm sure you are. <laughs> But uh, that's how it came along. And so most of what you learned at home playing the piano was through your dad or was it yes, radio? Yes, through, no, through okay. my dad. Uh, I, I started picking up the radio later on, you know, listen to songs and then I could I could pick it up. Any song but, that, that really struck you? Well, say, say wh what were some of the songs? How much is that doggy in the window, mm -hmm. right? Okay, I could play that. Uh uh, there was a song called That's How Much I Love You. Uh, I could play that. I said, if I had a nickel, I'll tell you what. I, it was because it sort of sounded like kid stuff, you know, mm -hmm. had to, you know. Um, I don't know. I, I picked up songs here and there, you know. And, of course, there was a lot of jamming, just banging on it, not playing anything, just keeping up noise. So but, moving back to the point where you were playing with Sonny Boy Williamson, mm -hmm. tell me about that experience and what it meant to you. Well, okay. Uh, first, after uh, I decided to, I mean, you know, after the piano player didn't show up and it was my gig, okay, the first tune he played was in the key of E. Mm -hmm. Now, I know that's... Uh, now, the reason why I'm bringing that up is this. When I first got the piano, I could only play in C, F, G, and maybe another key or so. E was out of the question. 
So I bought this record by Ray Charles, and it was called What I Say, because it had that very same piano on it. Mm -hmm. So the, the, the song was called What Did I Say, and it was in the key of E. So I first started trying to play it in C. It just didn't sound right. So I said, well, you know what? I'm going to give it a shot. So I started working on the song in E. So I finally got it. Well, I got from E to A. That, that song itself is an E, A, and B, right? Mm -hmm. Okay, well, it got me to start exploring the piano because I realized there's other ways of playing rather than C, F, and G like I had been doing. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> well, by me doing that, the first song that Sonny Boy played was in the key of E. If I hadn't learned what I say, I'd have, I, I wouldn't have passed the audition. Yeah, that wouldn't have been a gig. <laughs> I, I wouldn't have got the gig. <laughs> so, so, but, so, And this was also the first time you ever played with ever a band. Ever played with anybody. Now, can you tell me, can you maybe go back and tell, explain to me what that must have felt like to you? Well, I remember being nervous. I think I was more nervous than anything mm -hmm. because I was didn't know what the songs were going to be. Uh, I didn't know what key they were going to be in and, and so forth. So it was more of a, I was on edge, or, or I guess that's the word you'd use. I was, I was anxious. And at a point, do you remember during that evening, if you ever felt comfortable or was, was the whole evening on edge? I think the whole evening was on edge. But did you get a chance to enjoy yourself playing with a band for the first time? I didn't. I don't think I enjoyed myself until afterwards. I think after the gig was over and I was safe. <laughs> <laughs> and at that point, did you think I could maybe do this for a living or that I would like to do this more often? After that, I did. That, that's when that's when I realized it, it's a possibility. Well, see, first of all, living in Milwaukee, we didn't have any radio stations that played the blues. I had never heard the blues before. And so once I got open to up to the blues, I realized there were other people. It was Muddy Waters, Howlin' Wolf, and all these people. Right. Well, I had never heard of them before that. And then and I listened to how they were playing, the songs that they were playing, and I realized I can play this. You know. So is it is it correct to assume that being in Milwaukee, um, a lot of blues musicians came through town because it wasn't too far away from Chicago? Right. Okay. Right. So so once you realize that there are other opportunities, did you wind up playing with these other musicians when they came into town or no? No, never okay. did. And uh and I became a blues musician, but I'm a, I'm kind of a different kind of blues musician. See, I want when when I'm hired, I want to let them know right up front, I'm a blues musician, but I'm not a traditional. Like I never played with Muddy Waters and those those people. I played with Roomful of Blues, the fabulous Thunderbirds, uh, Jimmy Vaughn. Um, I did play with with the Dell Vikings, which is kind of like. Uh, a doo-wop group, it's mm -hmm. a little different. But uh, I play with the new blues rather than the traditional blues. But as far as the new blues are concerned, those are pretty pretty big names to play with. That's true, that's true. And uh, the Fabulous Thunderbirds, when I played with them, they had a hit record. And there's nothing like playing with a band with a hit record. <laughs> it's That's totally a different beast right there. Well, for sure. When I meet people who've had hit records, it is a different beast. and. They, I think they see the world a little differently. And exactly. I'm sure when you're on stage and you play a song that's a hit record for the band that you're with, that feeling of what you get on stage must be incredible. It is. Now now you come into where, where I started enjoying it. <laughs> that, but okay, right. so before we get to that point, mm, okay. so tell me from, from the point where you played with Sonny Boy Williamson and decided, okay, maybe I can do this and started playing around Milwaukee, Tell me about those years and what they were like. Okay. Well, Sonny Boy was only in town for a little while. And uh, once he left, he went to Europe. And I think he was going to play with Led Zeppelin or record with him or something. <clears throat> and Lloyd Price, during that time, came to town. And uh, there was a sax player. His name was Kent Ivey. And he fell in love with this girl. So he stayed. He stayed in <laughs> A Milwaukee. girl from Milwaukee. Exactly. Yes. So now that Sonny Boy is gone, 
he came up to me and he says, now that Sonny Boy is gone, you're just like me. We're both out of work. He says, if you put a band together, I'll be your sax player. Well, I thought I said, that'll put it up there. You know, here he is right from, uh, and she got personality. And, right. you know, okay. So I got this sax player. I said, that's, that's fantastic. Then it was a bass player that, uh, he was a jazz player, and he wanted in. His name was Jimmy Dice. And then, of course, the drummer from Sonny Boy, his name was Roscoe Webb, he wanted in. So I got a great band right off the top. <laughs> I had nothing to do with it. Everybody just volunteered. So well, they must have volunteered because they saw something in you, right? I, 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 I don't Let's know just... what it was. <laughs> <laughs> but at this point, is this a blues band or are you doing something we, else? We, we kind of like made it sort of blues because we all could play blues. But but Kent was from New Orleans, so he had had all of that in him. Right. And he had a bunch of instrumentals that he could, uh, you know, show us and so forth. So we were playing more or less what we knew, I mean, what we heard on the radio around Milwaukee at that time because it was a brand new band. We, you know, put it together. And what was the Milwaukee blue, uh, music scene like? It was hardly anything at that time. And... Uh, it really never really started to bloom until the Beatles, you know, the the right. English invasion. Okay, so you're playing all these different things. As a piano player, if you have a guy in, in from Lloyd Price, Price's band, um, obviously piano players tend to have... There's a connection between piano and New Orleans music, I would presume. Gotcha. Oh, yeah, well, there's... Um, Doctor, I mean, not Doctor, uh, Professor Longhead. Yeah. Just about all the piano players play that style. You know, some of them can play play it exactly like him, some even better. Dr. John, for instance. You know? Right. And, uh, yep. But you know what? I never really got off into that because once you figure that out, you sort of like, you stain yourself because you're gonna go back to it. Right. It didn't. Everybody gonna say, "Oh, uh huh." Well, I know. <laughs> Can I ask you who your influences were? Like, I, I mean, if you, I don't know if you were imitating I, or emulating. I, I, I didn't have any influences yet, but I do now. Uh, although I can't play nearly as well, or I don't even try to play like I just like him, and that's Oscar Peterson. And actually, he's from um, Canada. Canada. Yes. Yeah, I'm an amazing guy. I, I, I was playing North Sea Jazz Festival. Oh, that's a long time ago. I was probably about um, 89-ish. And uh, we played with Oscar Peterson. I shook his hand, the whole works. And and uh, I was playing with Ronnie Earl. Ronnie Earl is from Moonful of Blues. And uh, Ronnie says... Uh, you want to see him, don't you? And I said, yeah. He says, come follow me. So I followed him. He walks up to the door where uh, Oscar Peterson was working. He says, my name is uh, Ronnie Earl, and this is Mr. Junior Brantley, and he's a guest of Oscar Peterson. And everybody said, oh. So they got it together. They brought us right down to the front. And it was all a big lie. I wasn't <laughs> And I was almost afraid because he set us right down front. But anyway, I could see Oscar Peter. I could see his hands. He, he was only about far from me to that wall there. I could see him. He was just that close. And, of course, the drummer and bass player, they were just as awesome. It was, it was an awesome concert. Yeah, I'm sure. And, of course, at the desk, because we, we stayed at the same hotel. Everybody does at that uh, jazz, uh, North Sea Jazz Festival. And... I met him, shook his hand. He had a big hand. <laughs> but uh, Oscar Peterson is my man. I can imagine. So going back again to Milwaukee and starting your own band. So how did that band do? It did good. We went, we went to, uh, we played around Milwaukee for a while. We went to Chicago and we played down there for a while too. But we didn't do anything, you know, like recording or anything okay. like that. And at so, this point, was the goal to become a recording artist, or how did you no, view no. your profession? Like, did you was music just, still a hobby, or was it? it? It was. It was still a hobby, 
although you know in the back of your mind you, you you're always hoping somebody's gonna come in the back door and and discover you you know that's always in your head because you know that's just the way you are and um and it actually i played chicago and i was also working at american motors at the time and this was getting a little too much and i decided i'd quit well just as i quit Someone. Sorry, you decide quit music or quit Chicago, quit driving down okay, there right. every every week. Right, right. And just as I quit Chicago, um, a guy called me up. Tom February called me up, and he had a band he was putting together. He wanted me to be in it. So it and it didn't have a name, of course, because we were all brand new. Had the band put up. Uh, we had a little uh, uh, contest named the band so someone named us the classics okay so now this is a different band this is different than one from sonny boy mm -hmm. in fact everybody in this band were white okay. except me and um so after putting this band together the sax player who put the band together in the first place his name is tom february he went to california and the same time we sort of like had a dilemma here. The drummer was in the Army Reserves. He had to go in and do about two weeks of active duty. Well, we had a guy that we used for the drums, and he also played vibes. So we brought him in, and he brought his vibes as well. So while he was playing, playing that night, another drummer came and sat in on the drums, and he played the vibes. And he tore the house down. Well, we said, hey, we got to have him. So we hired him. <laughs> and uh, so for the longest time, we were just uh, a band with vibes. Didn't have a guitar. But vibes, bass, drums, and uh, keyboards. And then... Uh, and musically, was it this, more this jazz? Was called, yeah, well, it was the songs that we heard on the radio. Okay. We you know, ain't no, can't get no satisfaction. Uh... It's been a hard day's night, you know, boys. all those songs. Okay. Anyway, uh, <clears throat> we decided to uh, add a sax because we, we had vibes, didn't have a guitar, and, and it was just kind of like on the mellow side, you know. Mm -hmm. Okay, got the sax, brought it back <laughs> power again. Well, we used to play a place called... Uh, uh, Zip goes, and uh, so did all the bands. Well, this one particular night, we were playing downtown, uh, and let me see now, what was the name of that club? Jeez, um, it's going to slip my memory. I can't remember the name of the club. But anyway, we were playing there, and Little Artie and the Pharaohs, mm -hmm. they were a band that was a lot like Bobby Blue Bland. They supposed to have been there. They were playing Marty Zifko's, and we took their place at, uh, I almost had it, at this place, it was downtown Milwaukee. And someone went down to Chicago and told RCA about Lil Artie and the Pharaohs. Well, that night they came up to see Lil Artie. Well, Lil Artie <laughs> was out there and he saw us. <laughs> Nice. Okay, I know. And and so so he talked to us and says, uh, <clears throat> did we have any originals? And I said, we just finished a CD, uh, well, album. And uh, so he stuck around that night. I think he had two things he wanted to do. He wanted to hear our record, which he did, and he hated it. And, <laughs> and he wanted to see Lillard and the Pharaohs. But... In two weeks, he came back up there, and he said, the RCA won, get, had a contract, wanted to sign us. We were totally surprised. We thought it was little Artie's chance, right. you know? And so that's how, what, that's how we got into the recording. So we went down and did a demo, and they released one of the songs. It was a song by Rufus Thomas called Do the Dog. Right. <laughs> and... Uh, of course, we couldn't come up with them. They gave us one year with a four-year option. We couldn't come up with a song that they liked, you know, original. So they dropped us. 
I have two questions about that. Okay. So one, and if you don't mind me asking, mm-hmm. so you were in a band with other white men. Mm-hmm. Tell me about that in that time. And I don't know how race affected you. Oh, and- none. Not at all. In fact, I was protected by my band members. You know, if anybody got out of line or whatever, they they will always knew that... Um, they can't get to me unless they come through them. Okay, so, but life in general, growing up in Milwaukee, was race ever an issue or not as oh, much well, as one would think? Marco, you know, let's face it. It's in our heads, right? We, we heard all the stories. Mm-hmm. So you have to watch out, you know. You know everybody doesn't love you. Right. So, you, you know, you... you you know, be as nice as you can, but be cautious because, you know, if everybody loved you, then that wouldn't be no issue. So okay. so you just had to be cautious. And I always got the feeling that in music, there was less color boundaries between musicians. Exactly. But that's why. It's because you had protection from the other musicians. See, the other musicians won't let their outside world get to you. Right. You know. Okay. So now you have... You've recorded the song, and now you have a year to come up with a new song. How difficult was it for you to? Obviously, it was difficult because you didn't you didn't <laughs> do another one. But how difficult was it to write these new new songs? To present very to difficult. That's where the problem is in all musicians, uh, for uh, uh, you know their career. You have to have something to sell, mm-hmm. and and you can't you can't sell other people's stuff. You got to write your own, or have somebody write for you. Well, that's the biggest problem, or that's that's the hardest part of music, uh, you know, in to 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 sell music is to write it. So, in in going through the exercise of writing songs for the record company and getting rejected. How did you view that? Did you appreciate just how difficult it was? Did you, were you bitter about oh, it? or oh, it's, You know, it's just like the lottery. Do you know how, how mm-hmm. difficult the lottery is? Same thing. Right. You know exactly how hard this is going to be. You know that you're going to have to compete against Sonny Boy Williamson. You're going to have to compete against the Beatles. You know it's harder than the lottery. Mm-hmm. So because, because someone wins the lottery every week. No one gets a hit every week. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> so, so they dropped you. How did you feel about the music industry at that point when they said, we're, we're not going to sign you for another year? That's it. We got to get better if we're going to get anywhere. And we, we tried. But then another band came along. And it was called Short Stuff. And... Uh, I was living upstairs over my cousin's bar and I heard this band downstairs and it sounded like Sonny Boy. So I went down there to check them out and it was short stuff. And um, I asked Marty Leary, he was the manager, to let me sit in. I had my gear out in the van right in front and he let me sit in. After sitting in, he, he asked me, he said, would you like to join this band? And I said, absolutely. So I said, I got some more gigs. I got to finish up with uh, Junior and the Classics. That was my old band. Mm-hmm. And uh, as soon as I'm done with them, I'll be there. So that's how that all started. So at this, by this time, you're thinking music is my career? Yep. Okay. Definitely. Because, because Electric Flag, uh, Blood, Sweat, and Tears, uh, you know, all those bands, they were playing blues. Uh, and and our band was a blues band. And blues was catching on. It was going to be a little quick blues thing, and it, and it happened. Mm-hmm. Well, Kim Wilson from the Fabulous Thunderbirds lived in Detroit. He came over to Minneapolis, actually, and he saw us. And after seeing us, now this is what he said. And I still have the article, so if it's a lie, he told it. He said, after seeing us, he went down and got a hold of Jimmy Vaughn down in Austin, Texas, and that's how they became the Fabulous Thunderbirds, after seeing us. Wow, that's a nice compliment. Exactly. 
So now that, that the fabulous, so we played all, we, we put our two records, no biggies, uh, short stuff. So in uh, 1986, the Fabulous Thunderbirds had a hit record. They had put out records too, and they had flops as well. Mm-hmm. But they got a hit. And, and I went down to see them, but not to join them. I, that was the furthest thing from my mind. Um, but they were looking for a piano player. I had no clue. They were opening for Stevie. So Reese, Reese Winning, he was doubling. He was playing with them. And then he would play with Reese. Well, that was their last night in Milwaukee. They were looking for a piano player. Well, I was trying to help them find a piano player. <laughs> <laughs> and I had a card. And on this card, it had a keyboard, a piano keyboard, and uh, a computer. And from the piano, it had a chord that came out and it spelled my name, Junior Brantley, and it went into the computer, right? Well, in 86, that was pretty hip. That was mm-hmm, a cool sure. thing. So, so as we were talking, he looked at this card again, and he says, do you know anything about sequencers? And I said, yeah, I have one. And so he's, he already knew I played the blues. So what he was thinking, and I didn't know it at the time, he was thinking about to how to get that tough enough, that sound, right? Yeah. So I have the, the, the sequencer, and I can play the blues. Well, you hired. Anyway, he he called the other three guys, and they went back, and uh, they were discussing this, and they were only back there all 10 seconds. And as they were back there, I was thinking, these guys all from down south, they're from Texas, they're not going to hire me because they just told me what they were going to be doing. They're going to be doing the Johnny Carson show. They're gonna, their next gig was going to be at Madison Square Garden. They're going to be touring with Bob Seger and all this stuff. And I said, before I could get this going through my mind, um, thinking about it, Ken Wilson walks out the door and he says, well, Junior, they gave me the green light. And my heart says, boom, boom, because... Okay. Why did you think they weren't going to hire you, though? Why did you have doubt? You said, what? Why did you have doubt that they weren't going to hire you? Because they were from um, from down south. And, and things hadn't quite settled yet. It was still pretty segregated, you okay, know what I mean? Okay, So and that was the race thing that you were thinking. Exactly, okay. exactly. Right. That was the only reason. And obviously they weren't. Exactly, exactly, exactly. So how, what did that do to your life, joining the Thunderbirds? Well, uh, I saw the world because I toured. I must have went around the world 20 times. Uh, I got a little hippo. I wasn't so green, you know. <laughs> but, and, but you uh, had to bring it up a notch or two, exactly, right? Exactly. And then I would think that, I mean, you're playing now at a different level to much bigger audiences. Now you have a hit song and people are responding to you. Did you enjoy the ride? I sure did. I sure did. And 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 the cool thing about it is like we had a set list, played 40 minutes, and it wasn't like any guessing what's coming up next because you know I I had memorized the song list, you know what I mean? So right. it was in the pocket. So all I had to do is go on stage and I, I couldn't wait to get there. And how I, long were you with the Thunderbirds? About 13 months, okay. something like that. We we took off, and uh, Room for the Blues called me for a tour. So I went on tour with them. So while I was on tour with them, Greg Piccolo was the leader, and he told me, he says, uh, listen, say, I know the situation with the Fabulous Thunderbirds. They, uh, they got their corporation. It's already closed. You're a side man. And I said, you're absolutely right. He said, well, you come with us, I'll put you in the corporation. You'll be a part of the, you'll be a full member. And I thought, I said, you know what? Everybody else is getting hits that used to be on that short stuff circuit. Thunderbirds, uh, Lost Boat Lobos got a movie, you know, and and Robert Cray, you know, these are the same people that used to be on them, you know, before they got their hits. Right. And I said, you know what, Room for might be next. So that's why I left the Thunderbirds. I was thinking, I was gambling. I said, I'm going to go to Roomful because they might be the next one to get a hit and I'll be in the corporation. I'll make that big money. Right. You know, so that's how that happened. Did you, was that a difficult decision to make? No. 
Not and you're really. Still in, you're still in touch with Jimmy Vaughn. Exactly. In fact, the drummer and bass player for the Fabulous Thunderbirds are from Moonful of Blues. So that's an interacting right. uh, band. And at that point, how... What where was Roomful and, and like how established were they as a band? Oh, very established, and uh, it, they just never had a big hit mm-hmm. like uh, like the Thunderbirds did. But uh, at that time, what did they have? They must have had out seventeen albums. Oh, okay. And so tell me about going from a four-piece. Was it a four-piece band, Thunderbirds, or five at that point? Yep, it was five with me. Okay. So go, going from that to Roomful, which Ten is much pieces. bigger. Ten. That was that was fabulous again. And that was an easy gig to uh, see. See, you got to learn the songs, right? right? Well, in most cases, I don't know why recorders are this way, but they always put the piano in the weeds. You have, oh, what's he playing? <laughs> you know, well, in Room Full of Blues, it was just the opposite. They jacked the piano up. I could hear them real good. So it was no problem learning the, the parts. So there's another easy one. And then you you were with them for how long? Uh, almost six years. Okay, so uh, once again, probably still, toured the world. Still, still waiting for that hit. <laughs> but that hit we come back to that hit exactly. it is a difficult thing right exactly and and so at least you had a flavor of that with the thunderbirds that's to be right able, you know i mean i can't just even that i think is pretty special totally special and 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 i mean if I, if we could figure out how that happens but then then you would have done it already. that's exactly right and then okay so the story i heard and i don't know if this is true is that you were with roomful and you came to Vegas. Yeah. And somebody saw you and said, you look like Little Richard. Is that correct? Oh, okay. It's, that's almost correct. Okay. okay. I was in, in Lake Tahoe. Okay. And I had heard about Sonny. You were just talking about okay. the checkmates. And I, I wanted to see them. Okay. Because I'd never seen them. And I heard a lot about them. We were at Harris, Room Full of Blues, and they were at Harvey's. This is in Lake Tahoe. So on the break, I went over to see them. This, so, sorry, this is Sonny Charles, who was with the Checkmates Limited. That's right. In fact, he was there. I remember right. seeing him. And anyway, uh, I, I I was standing there watching them. They were on the, behind this bar, and they were pretty high. And I remember I, I had my arms like this because I, I didn't want to sit down. I was just watching them. And this guy comes walking up right in front of me. <laughs> And he says, and he was looking at me, and he was saying, "If I put some makeup," and I said, he was saying all this. I thought he was saying that uh, I was gay or uh, or something like that. Not that I'm against gay people. It's just that I'm not gay, so I uh, I was trying. I almost wanted to push him away, but then I found out what he was talking about. He's talking about putting makeup on me to look like Little Richard. Okay, but did he even know that you played piano? So it didn't matter. Oh, he went by my looks only. (laughs) Okay. And and so, because after he said all this, he says, uh, he says, says, are you a musician? And I I was angry. I didn't even want to say yes, but I said, yeah, (laughs) or something like that. And then then he says, what do you play? I didn't want to tell him that either, but I did. And I said, I play the piano. And then then I saw his eyes light up. He says, oh, I can make a little Richard out of him. You know, so that's how I, I, and then he says, say, could you come to uh, an audition? And I said, I'm in a band. I said, we got insurance. I said, I I don't want to leave. I don't want to audition. And he says, well, son, he says, uh, uh, just come over and audition and you can decide whether you want to do this later on or, or something of that order, he said. Anyway, he talked me into it. I said, okay. So the minute I said that, he turns around and he asked the, the, the crew or the people that were working with him, said, well, what time are we rehearsing tomorrow? And I looked over there, and I saw an Elvis. I saw a Paula Abdul. <laughs> and I saw all these little cute girls. I had no clue who they were, but I found out later they were dancers. And I said, hey. <laughs> Spoken like a true musician. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so I went over there, and I did the audition. And 
by me being around forever, believe it or not, two of the band members, I knew them. So they played real hard, so I would uh, pass this audition, and I did. So this was in February, uh, so I didn't get the gig. They didn't, he didn't want me in Lake Tahoe. He wanted me in Las Vegas. But he didn't start his show down here until December. And this was in Feb, uh, when is, yeah, February 14th. This is a, so I had all this time to wait. So I called up my girlfriend back in Providence and told her, and so we laughed about 10 minutes. And I, and I said, uh, you know what, I'm gonna do this. So I went back and all around July, I would say, you know, I better go and get a record by Little Richard because I only heard a couple of songs here on here and there on the radio. So I went and got a, and I heard Little Richard and listened real close. I called Donnie Moore and I told him, Donnie, can't do it. And uh, he says, why? And I said, I said, if I sing like Little Richard like that, say, in, I'd be hoarse and I'd never, never get over it. Right, right. And he said, I don't think that'll happen, son. You, you only have to do 10 minutes. And I said, 10 minutes? Because I was thinking four hours. <laughs> <laughs> he said, 10 minutes. I said, Donnie, 10 minutes, I'll be there. So, so that's you, how. Okay, so you quit room full because yep. of this, right? Yep. Was that a difficult decision? No, because of my son. Okay. See, this is before cell phones. This was, I came out here in 1992. People right. had cell phones, but I didn't. Um, so they were, they were really big exactly, back then. Exactly, exactly. In fact, that's what Greg had when he was on the bus. And uh, so I would uh, wait till the bus stop at a bus stop, um, truck stop, and um, I would uh, try calling home. And Damien, my son, he's what, 11 or 12 years old, he would go to school and wouldn't come home because he, he, uh, he, he was being taken care of by my girlfriend and he just resented that whole mm -hmm. thing. So I had a hard time dealing with that because you know you think about it, you don't know where your kid, are, yeah, kid sure. is and you're yeah. out there on the road like that. Well, when I had this opportunity to come and do this gig in Las Vegas, well, that would solve that. I'd bring him, I could watch him. Not only that, he was in the gangs, mm. you know, and, and uh, you know, they were young, but still, you know, they were going to grow into right. criminals. And I had a chance to stop all that. So there, there was no hard decision at all. Okay. So everything worked out well with your son? Exactly. Okay, in fact, uh, he's, he's doing real good. <laughs> uh, I'll let me tell you that story. Uh, when he finished high school, I told him, I said, you know, Damien, I, I have a little money, so you choose the college you want to go to, and uh, we'll see, can we make it happen? And he says, I don't want to go to college. Oh? I said, what you going to do? He said, I want to be an impersonator. And I said, oh, okay. And I was thinking he wanted to be a little Richard. <laughs> <laughs> Because <laughs> it runs in the family. Exactly, exactly. And he says, no, I want to be Michael Jackson. And I said, Michael Jackson? I said, I know you sing, you know, but, you know, Michael Jackson dances. And he says, I can do that. And I said, I've never seen you. I, the only time I ever saw you dance was when you were walking out and I tell you to take up the garbage and you dance around the thing. <laughs> but, but I mean, what kid is going to dance exactly. in front of the dance? <laughs> Anyway, uh, I said, okay, if that's the deal, we'll go over to Lowe's and we'll pick up these plywood, these pieces of plywood, and we'll put them down and make a little stage. We had a garage. It was a, a model home, and they had put carpet in there, so it would be real easy. We'll make a little stage. So we did that. So I went back upstairs. Upstairs, he pulled out the TV and you know, um, VCR and all all that stuff at that time. So I could hear him down, he was real loud. And so I was thinking, man, what did I get myself into here? So, so. <laughs> and when a musician's complaining about noise, exactly. you know it's noisy. Exactly. <laughs> so pretty soon he calls me Junior. He said, hey, Junior. So he calls me down and uh, so I, he had his shirt off and so he put his music on started, and started dancing and so forth. And I was watching and I said, wow, he actually can do this. So I watched him for a little while. So I had to go to work. So I told Keith, 
down at the show about Damien. So Damien, so Keith wanted to see him. So I called him back and Damien didn't want to be seen, right? <laughs> and I said, all he wants to do, I'm telling Damien this, all he wants to do is see you. And I said, remember that, that jacket that another impersonator, William Hall, gave you? I said, put that jacket on and uh, do your little dance and sing, and that's all you have to do. So it talked him into it. So Keith went down there, came over to my house that night. So we watched him. So he called up Donnie Moore, the same little guy. <laughs> <laughs> and so, so Donnie says, well, Keith, what do you think? And Keith says, I think he's got it. He says, okay, fire Madonna and hire him. <laughs> So he's he's had a gig ever since. Are you so he's still doing it? He's still doing it. That's a long time. I know over twenty years. Wow. So are they in the on the strip right now, or are they touring? on the strip as we speak? Oh, that's interesting. I know. Wow. So was I, I get the impression there wasn't a real connection between you and Little Richard before this this opportunity, which kind of surprises me from a piano player, right? But but see the whole thing about Little Richard now Little Richard's records, that wasn't him playing the piano. Mm. Um, so Little Richard didn't really learn how to play the piano until after he had really become a star. Okay. So you did- now J- Jerry Lee Lewis now that's different now yeah, he yeah. plays, he always could play, <laughs> play really good. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. So you did this gig for how long? Uh, from 92 till 96, because I went with the Dell Vikings in 96. And then after that, I just freelance. I'm not in a show anymore. I, I, if anybody calls me for Little Richard, I'll do it. In fact, I got a Little Richard coming up for New Year's Eve. Oh, neat. Okay. <laughs> that's, that's a few months away. but <laughs> <laughs> Okay, so what's it like being a musician living in Las Vegas? Uh, it's, you, you know that this is Las Vegas, and you know that it's not really the musical capital like they, they said, not from right. the point of view of the way I look at music. But you also know that this is not Milwaukee. Milwaukee is, is they're, they're catering to something else. They're catering to tanneries or, or, or something. Where here they're catering to music and plays and and you know it's it's, it's the arts somehow. You right. know? In fact, I may as well tell you this: I I won the Nevada Heritage Award. I read that. In fact, I didn't even know what it was. I had to look it up. <laughs> <laughs> and when did you win this? I, I won. I'm I'm reigning as we speak for 2016. Wow! So this is a recent thing, and this it, is this is quite an honor. It's an honor. It's a, it's a thing right now. Yeah. But um, how does that make you feel? I, I was totally honored, you know, and especially on Facebook, a lot of people, you know, congratulated me and so forth, and. When I first got the nomination, I was amongst all these people, you know, Clint Holmes and different people like that. Oh, I forgot. <clears throat> uh, I I had no. I I'm not gonna win this, you know. I and but when once I won, again, there's that negative exactly, energy. I don't know I, why. You got the Thunderbird game. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> so that tells you something right yeah. there. Yeah, I had no. I have no self-esteem. <laughs> <laughs> and, and but then when I won it, I was I said, wow. And then I looked back on why did I win it? You know, what did I do? And I thought about it. And uh, I guess uh, you know I, I did do quite a bit. So what what I wanted for is for teaching Morses. So yes, we talked about blues. this. You you said you taught blues right, right. here at at the House of Blues. Right. Um, exactly. The kids, tell me about. What what motivated that or what inspired that? Uh, okay, that that was a, a, a show that Dan Aykroyd put together, and he put it in all the House of Blues around the country. Okay. And uh, so when they did it here, uh, they asked me to play. And it was a seven-piece ensemble, and um, 
couple of narrators, and so they were, you know, doing a lot of talking. And uh, in on the songs, we did more or less examples, not full songs, you know. Say, say if we're doing a Muddy Waters, well, this is the way Muddy Waters would do this, and, and Elvis, Elvis would do it like this, and uh, um, Big Mama Thornton would do it like this. We did uh, Hound Dog, you know, back right. to back. And that kind of thing. That's more or less what we. It was more entertaining, but it was also uh, educational as, as far as his history. Tell me how important that is to let people know, let young kids know about. Well, now, if you if you look at it for the future, mm-hmm. I'm not sure it's that important. Real reason why I'm saying that is because it seems like music. As, as as we knew it, say, through the 70s and 80s, um, it's not going to be that way anymore. Uh, they use DJs right. for big crowds and so forth. And so people are into, they look at, at mannequins and all kinds of stuff, rather than a sax player up there, you know what I mean? So I'm thinking for the future, I'm not sure that there's a reason to learn music. Because music, there's so much music that's been recorded already. Right. You can reach back and get anything you want if you want to hear it, if that's what you want. So why learn it? I mean, why, you know. Whoa. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I mean, I just think it's important that people get exposure, you know, and there's so much out there. That, that too. That you know? too. But, but not if you didn't hear the blues and then all of a sudden you stumble upon it. I mean, I, I just think... Just having, whether it be jazz, blues, or whatever, that people, at least they get exposed to it. They can decide whether they like it or not. That's true. Or they might not like it now, but they might like it later. Later. But it would be so true. It would be horrible if they never got exposed to it. You know what I mean? That is so true. You're right. But good for you for doing that. And congratulations for that that award. All right. Thank you. And you still do some recording. I, I know you've also done a bunch of recordings with Jimmy Vaughn. Yeah. Yes. And uh, but I haven't uh, done any recording with him in a while. I, w- I was only on it, on a couple of his records, the first and second. Right, but that connection is from the Thunderbirds. Day. Yes. Okay. Yes. Well, good. And then you're keeping yourself busy these days, gigging around Las Vegas. Right. In a bunch of different bands. Exactly. Exactly. I appreciate you telling me about your life. I didn't know much about it. Mm-hmm. Um, I think every. Life is important. I think um, musicians, especially what you guys go through, <laughs> exactly. you know, it's not an easy road. Um, but to make, to have a dream one day to, to play in front of people, and now looking back to have spent all your time playing and, and I guess living that dream. And I know it's not easy and I know it's not full of money and everything, but you've basically lived your life doing your thing. I did. You know, which is pretty amazing it, I agree I, I'm certainly uh, amazed at everything and how everything turned out and especially starting with the Thunderbirds and uh, how everybody protected me too remember I was, mm-hmm. I was in the, sort of the rough days but uh, never had one problem not one no Junior it was it's, <laughs> it was a real pleasure meeting you thank you so much oh, my pleasure